I'm just getting older. Life is going on. I need some sort of something to excite me, you know? Yeah. And that was my own thing. And as of now, it's just me. I do everything myself. You know, at some point I will like to have employees, but where I'm at right now, it's just where I want to be. I'm accountable for all my own work. You know, the things that I decide are the right things to do. And I'm just in a, you know, the place that I want to be right now. Welcome to All Things Wood Floor, brought to you by Wood Floor Business. Wood Floor Business for the Wood Floor Brilliant. Today, 2022 Ultimate Wood Floor Gal recipient, Elizabeth Imlock of T&G Hardwood Floors, Chico, California. This special episode, Liz shares with us her journey as one of the very few women in the field, uh, not only installing and finishing floors, but running her own company solo. Liz talks about her dedication to the industry that she loves and exactly what it took to get her where she is today. Liz Imlock is a hardwood flooring rock star, and you're going to find out why. So crank it up as Wood Floor Business welcomes Elizabeth Imlock, TNG Harbor to Floors, Chico, California. Floor pros around the world, let's get to it. Elizabeth Imlock, TNG Flooring, Chico, California. Welcome to All Things Wood Floor. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. We, we didn't, we had to have you because you're like a rock star. <laughs> you got well that's good to hear the, you got the 2022 ultimate floor gal of the year title this is only the second mm-hmm. season that's pretty cool uh you know the the magazine wood floor business magazine uh just loves promoting flooring contractors and people in the industry and everything i'm glad that they put this award together because people get a chance to see people in the industry that really stand out and you just happen to be the number one standout of the year right yeah that's it's an honor thank you so much what are you gonna do with the new car did they tell no you, there was okay maybe there wasn't a new car <laughs> yeah i didn't hear about that one <laughs> how now going back how did you get into all this i believe um, you were in construction management in college. How did you go from high school to college into flooring? Yeah, so I um, I lived in a in a small town. Um, my family had a firefighting background. My dad was a fire investigator and eventually became fire chief before he retired. I was a a uh, family of four kids, and we all kind of had that idea in the back of our head that we would just follow our dad's footsteps. We would get into fire, into CDF, which you know is now Cal Fire, but uh, which most of my siblings did, and they stayed in town. Um, my brother's a fire chief in in his county, and I sort of knew that in the back of my head that if I wanted that, I could have it. Um, but I just had that itch to move on and see what's out there and what I really wanted to do with my life. And I thought that um, going to college was probably the best call for me. And um, I had an interest in building and construction. Uh, Chico was only about a four hour drive from where I grew up. Um, we, uh, my mom actually ended up moving here before I did. And so I, I applied for school at Chico State and got into construction management. Um, I really loved certain classes that I took. However, uh, the 
the business part of it, the office work, it just, I just knew that it was just not my thing. I, I just needed to be out physically moving, working with my hands, creating. Um, and I actually got a job with a flooring contractor. I had, I had graduated from school during the financial crisis and uh, went from a like 99% higher rate out of college um, for people in that degree down to like 50% because there just weren't jobs out there. And I thought it was kind of a disaster. You know, I had spent all this time and money in school and, you know, I can't get a job. Um, I started working for just a general contractor in town. We were going to start an energy retrofit business. Um, and, we had great plans for that and then same thing, you know, he had to move away from that and I got laid off after a few months and uh, the contractor shared an office with a flooring contractor, Tony, who um, offered to give me some work temporarily and I didn't necessarily think that hardwood floors was going to be something that I was going to do but I started working for him um, for a few months and he had me doing, you know, basic, basic tasks and kind of checked in with him and asked him if I could stick around. And he said, yes. And, you know, the more responsibility I got, the more I found a love and interest in the trade. And, you know, it's 13 plus years later and here I am. So you're in, uh, no, like would we consider that Northern California? It is, yeah. I'm about uh, an hour and a half north of Sacramento. Okay. Well, and it's interesting because you mentioned um, fires and um, the fire department and, and firefighting. A lot of of our customers that are hard performing contractors, police and firemen, have some downtime, so they will they will do flooring x so many days a week. But in your part of the country, we're talking about big time fires brush fires forest fires is that what your that's probably what your father was in not so much in like a, the how waiting for something to happen locally was he involved in all the brush fires and the hill fires yes i mean when i was a kid you know wildfires out in the forest were a common thing as you know as time has gone on we were starting to see fires in city limits which is really really scary mm. um but yeah, fire season was a big part of my life, you know, um, plenty of summers where we dealt with just being covered in smoke for the whole summer. So what happened in the 30s? So where's your first day on the job? I'm sure they, did they stick you with the edger or did they know that that's a, <laughs> that's a very risky proposition? Everybody wants to give the edger to the new kid, but it's, it's the most dangerous machine. You, you mess up with that. You're staying, everything's going to go bad. So what did they give you first yeah. out of the gate? Did they actually give you it's some equipment funny. or did they give you the paperwork? Uh, well, it's funny, you know, when you first start running an edger, you don't understand the potential problems that could happen and how it can, you know, totally get squirrely or get out of your hands or you could, you know, totally dish out a floor. And I, there was plenty of jobs that I started on with him where it was just really basic things, you know, plasticking and taping off a floor, um, just helping moving, move bundles and, um, you know, at the time we just papered floors for vapor barrier 
And uh, I learned, you know, how to kind of rack a floor out. Um, but I do vividly remember my first job where I was running a machine. And at that time, my old boss, Tony, had a crew of about five of us. Uh, actually, it was four, and then I came along. And it was a pretty big job, um, you know, a whole house, resand, and he had a bunch of paperwork he had to do. So he gave me an edger and he said, uh, you know, here's some 60 grit. You want to start with this. And, uh, you know, if you need any help, the guys will help you. And I just walked in and started edging and they all stopped what they were doing. <laughs> and they're like, do you even know what you're doing? You know, do you even have paper on your edger? And uh, I really didn't know, but um, it was just trial and error. Uh, it was he... His technique was sort of throwing you in there, but safe enough so that, you know, you're not going to harm yourself. You're not going to screw things up, but also a lot of here you go. Like, you you know, you're going to make some mistakes, but you're going to figure it out. It's really the only way to learn. Keep it flat. Don't let it dig in. Don't run over the cord. <laughs> put a, put <laughs> yeah. a bag on. It must have been a bag. Did you have, did you have dust containment then or was it just bags? We did not. We definitely did not. Yeah, that was a big part of when I realized I got into the trades, how dirty of a job it was because we didn't have vacuums. I mean, and our bags, you know, if you don't empty them constantly, they start to wear on the bottom, they get holes in them. And it was just a messy, messy job. Oh yeah, you get home, you, you, you're doing the edging all day. It's funny, you can look at, uh, someone takes their dust mask off and they have this pile of wood dust under their eye sockets. <laughs> then you go home and take a shower and for five minutes, your eyes are glued shut. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and you go. What did I? What did I do today? So, yeah, even uh, you know, I like to exercise after work, and sometimes I'll even you know, back when things were so dusty, I would actually shower after work so that I could exercise. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's terrible. Um, yeah. So, but in that point, then you must have moved up to. Sometimes companies will say, "Okay, we we just gave you the edger. Why don't we keep you there for a while?" Or did they say, "Okay, tomorrow's the big machine, and then we're gonna." Well, you know what? It. When did you get it? When did they let you start scraping? And more importantly, when did they let you sharpen your own scraper? Because we know that story. Yes, that's one thing that people that struggle with scraping. It's just not getting your blade sharp enough. And uh, I actually picked that stuff up pretty quickly. I was scraping and edging. Um, the big machine was something that was like, you know, the daunting, like you've got to have all this experience to even attempt to run that thing. And it was always a little intimidating to me. And, you know, I was a little more on the petite side compared to the guys I was working with. And it wasn't, I would say probably two years in, he let me start to run the big machine. And, you know, he was there with me. We would just, you know, if we had a small sand job, like one bedroom, the two of us would go off and do that. So it, it took a while to get to that point. Um, definitely. Well, the, yeah, the machine's heavy. The cords are heavy. Most of them in the last few decades didn't break down. You got to get them into the job. Um Run, run your wiring, run your electrical. It's better if somebody can get it all set up and you can just cruise and get rolling with it. 
But mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. I think if you can t- just remember not to hit the wall, don't back into the wall, taper in, taper out, you can get control yeah. of the machine. The easiest machine to run on the planet is a buffer. It is also the worst one out of the gate. You look at somebody mm-hmm. run a buffer, you go, this is going to be easy. And <laughs> it isn't. What was that like? What was that like the first time you grabbed a hold? It looked easy, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, it was a job that was a big open room. Good. And uh, I I had... I had talked about that I wanted, you know, more responsibility. I want to learn to be able to run all the machines. And he said, you know, this is a good one for you to try the buffer out. And um, it, you know, it was classic, just everything you would expect. I turned it on and the thing shot out of my hands and spun around and uh, I got, I got the hang of it, but it's definitely not as easy as it looks. But once you get it, it's, it's, fairly simple it's actually very simple once you understand it let's take a training classes you show off a bit i'll put a white pad on there and um run it with my pinky or two fingers and and then you give it to somebody that's training and you go, well you know let's try putting a six, 16 you know 60 grit or 80 grit screen on here and uh-huh. it's cheating a bit but then you watch it it's like a rodeo they will gallop with that thing left right right into a wall if they let go <laughs> of it it comes around and goes right through the drywall you don't want anybody to get hurt, but it is a nice little uh, baptism of fire with those things. Right, yeah. <laughs> so then they work you on to all the other machines. So when you were doing this, were you also at the same time doing installations, or was it straight out sanding and finishing? We did both, yeah. We okay. did installation, sanding, and repairs. Primarily just hardwood. You know, from time to time, we did a vinyl floor here and there, but um, really hardwood was our specialty. Do you prefer one over the other? A lot of guys are, I like both, but a lot of people are definitely opinionated they'd rather sand or install. I like the variation. I, you know, there's times where I'm doing an install and, you know, it's a huge house and I'm, you know, bent over all day long, just nailing, 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 and my back starts to hurt. And, you know, at that point, I'm like, I would love to have a sand job right now. And, you know, then I'll be sanding and, it seems completely filthy and um, I would love to do an install. It just, I love that I get to do both. Or you, yeah, you run an edger for 60, 70, 80 feet and the paper is not dying. You're all proud of yourself. And then you go to change the paper and you got to find a windowsill to stand up. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. Edging is a, is a lot of work. Each part it of it is. is pretty, it's pretty brutal, but I think you're like, you're, you're, you appear to me to be a woodworker too. You, Somebody said to me the other day, well, why don't you just come over and sand on my floors and then you can go home and uh, we'll, we'll coat it. Are you kidding me? I didn't bring the floor oh, to this yes, level I... for you to now. Right. There's been plenty of homeowners who have, you know, tried to save a buck and asked me, can you just sand it and I'll finish it for them? And even trying to give them pointers, I just don't even want to go there. I, you know, I put all this time into getting it to that point and the finishing work is really like where it starts to, to show, you know, the imperfections, especially with the coating and to just let a homeowner loose. I just can't feel good about it. I I offer them, you know, I'm going to do this thing or you can hire a handyman, you can do it yourself, but this is what I do. That's all I'm doing. I think I'd have nightmares. Like I think I'd have dreams of this raw floor that I never got to see finished. That I I want to see that finish or at least be around for it. And you know uh-huh. they're gonna go get something cheap from a paint store and throw it on there and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 
because it's just so I easy. Mean, I, I've even had the you know the the other side of it where they sand it and they want me to finish it. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, you could imagine. <laughs> I, I I had that happen. I, I did a floor for my parents and. I said to my dad, oh, we're missing things. I'm going to run down and get some things. But the sander was there. He, I came back. He had a whole room done, but he ran it like a vacuum. Left, right, side to side. Like he was running a vacuum cleaner. I almost had to rip the floor up. He had, It was gouged everywhere. He let the drum sit here, sit there. Oh, sit, oh, no. Oh, I'm like, why did he do that? So when right. you're doing this for you, this is interesting. I have a buddy of mine, we go to trade shows and they go, so yeah, you know, you're from New England, you do floors. What is it What is it that your company does mostly? And he goes, well, I train young people to be better than me and start their own companies. So how did you, how did you do 13 years before you said, you know, I think I'll do this myself. That's a lot. That's a dedicated time right there. It was. Yeah. And I, I had a really great relationship with my old boss. We were, um, you know, we worked together, but we were also friends and, I really looked up to him as a mentor and, you know, things, no matter how much time you put into something, the industry changes and, you know, there's new techniques to making your life easier or making things look better. And um, he was a great mentor in that sense. And I also felt this big sense of loyalty with him. Um, I had gotten my contractor's license in 2016 okay. and I kind of had dreams about going off on my own, but I really, really just genuinely enjoyed working with Tony. He he got really good jobs. He was very well respected in our town. Um, and he was still teaching me techniques that, you know, maybe I would have figured out on my own, but could have taken me a little longer. And um, I did reach a point where it was feeling a tiny bit stagnant you know, like I was just doing the same things over and over. And I had been the most loyal employee to him um, throughout those 12 years. Uh, there was a lot of guys that came and went and had some really bad habits that were frustrating for me, you know, to have a new a new guy come in and me tell him, you know, my approach at doing things and, you know, trying to keep a tidy workspace and all these different things. And um, I found myself getting frustrated because I felt like, you know, this is, this is not my company. I work for someone. Um, but I have these pet peeves that drive me absolutely insane and I just need to be on my own for a while. So that's kind of when I decided to start buying tools. Um, in the past I was renting my tools through, I was, you know, paying Tony to use the tools to do my own jobs. Um, and I knew that, you know, I'm just getting older. Life is going on. I need some sort of um, something to excite me, yeah, you know. Something that's I, your own. And, yeah, and that was my own thing. And uh, as of now, it's just me. I do everything myself. And it's, you know, at some point I will like to have employees. But where I'm at right now, it's just where I want to be. I'm, I, I'm accountable for all my own work. Uh, the, the, um, you know, the things that I decide are the right things to do. And, uh, I'm just in a, you know, the place that I want to be right now. Well, it makes sense. You can't really delegate anything to anybody until you know what level that you expect of yourself. 
And, you know, flooring, you don't learn it overnight. It's, you learn something every time out, every job, every place, every house is different, whether it's heat, humidity, temperature, species of wood, how the machines mm-hmm. are running. There's just so much that's involved there. I think that's really interesting that you, you were, he, Tony was even able to let you um, rent the equipment that we're using and still keep you moving along, helping him out. That was probably great. But, you know, psychologically... Sometimes you get on a job and you I just I wish I had somebody here to run cords for me or go get the vacuum yeah. or run back to the truck because you're, you're, you're just doing absolutely everything. Everything for you must be downtime. Absolutely everything. <laughs> I'm behind a sander. I got to go back to the truck. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's you. I, I, I feel like my, my thing right now is mastering efficiency and um, I've noticed that my life is a lot easier. I try to, you know, take the tools out of my van that I'm going to be using, you know, before I go to lunch. And then when I go to lunch, I can load those things back up in the van that I know I'm not going to be using, um, and just keep things, keep everything simple. Um, and trying to avoid the like, Oh shoot, I forgot. You know, I'm actually running through edge of paper way quicker than I did thought I need to go to the van and try to think of things that potentially I might need. So I'm not running back and forth, um, just trying to get as much work done in a small, you know, in a small amount of time. You must try to keep as much stock. You don't want to be running back and forth through a distributor. You must have like stockpile of things so that you're not running shy of stuff. Yeah, I try to make sure I have um, everything I need basically for the month and you know because it's just me i'm doing you know like one job at a time so it's really easy for me to look at you know the finish and the sandpaper that i have in in my shop and be like okay this is gonna this is gonna be at least enough for these next three jobs and uh luckily um my distributor is out of sacramento and they they deliver twice a week so it's fairly easy for me to get products now you st- struck on two points I want to ask you about. So going back to college and then you got into flooring and before we get up to where you're on your own, do you think that um, be- between college and, and the what you were studying in school and plus your background, did a lot of that, I think everything I've ever done ever, no matter what, I used to shovel horse barns and the other day, somehow it was helpful when when we were doing flooring. Did you think that some of that came in and either organizational skills or engineering skills or from college? What kind of stuff did you bring forward that you brought into you and into being a craftsman? Yeah, definitely organizational skills. I mean, little things like actually in the program, but the actually going through college and getting a degree gives you a sense of discipline. Um, yeah. Organizing your time, um, anticipating possible things that could happen even if they don't. It's just the whole process of me going through college, had it not even been construction management, it could have been anything else. But that discipline of going through college really, really benefited me and has in everything, not just my work, but just in life in general. I don't know that I would have done it any other way. You know, I could have done hardwood floors without a college degree, but I don't know that I would have ended up doing hardwood floors without that whole process happening. When is it that you did start out on your own recently, right? Yeah, it was just this year. Um, I want to say around December of last year. So I guess, you know, the beginning of the year is when I completely stopped. There was a few 
really big jobs that Tony um, needed help on. And I helped on a few of those at the beginning of the year. But at that point, I was, um, my reputation was well enough that I had full-time work and, you know, was booking things out throughout the month. And, you know, now I'm a few months out. So it happened fairly quickly. Do you guys, um, would you, Tony, and others in your area team up? Like a lot of people will say, we have a big project coming up and they're going to bring it in some company. Why don't we all team up together? You've probably done, are you planning on doing other work with them and sharing stuff or just straight off on all your own stuff? Yeah, we definitely talked about teaming up and, um, you know, talking about just things, you know, organically happening. When I had, went off, when I went off on my own, um, my old boss's wife, I've had uh, gotten a job offer as a librarian out in Wyoming. And this was the perfect opportunity for Tony to retire. And um, so maybe, uh, I can't even remember what it was. It might've been March or something like that. I was, you know, only a few months into being on my own. And he said, I'm moving and um, you can buy out my, the equipment that I have, you know, the wood that I have. You know, if you want to buy out my phone number. Um, and so he has since then, you know, finished his jobs that he had scheduled and is now back in in Wyoming. But um, we've talked about him coming back and us collaborating on jobs, especially big jobs. You know, I don't mind doing a big job. Um, there's I actually prefer it because it's less loading and unloading of tools, you know, going back and forth to little jobs constantly. But when it comes to obviously, you know, remodels with general contractors who are on a schedule, like uh, we need, you know, people to get in and get out and get it done quick. Right. And not, not to mention um, the finishing part is, uh, you know, I've attempted some, sealing some floors on my own that maybe I shouldn't have, yep. you know, sometimes you really need two people there to move quickly. Yes. And uh, so we've, we've definitely talked about collaborating and uh, most of the other flooring guys in my town, we all have worked together. We all know each other. Um, at some point they've worked for Tony. And so we really look out for each other. You know, if our distributor didn't bring up what we need, we can borrow it from someone else. Um, if we're, if we have a really big job and we need help, we can kind of, you know, help each other out. Um, so it's in that, in that sense, it's a great community. We all look out for each other. Is there, are there a lot of flooring companies in your area? That I know of, um, there's about three. Okay. Uh, you know, four, including myself. How big is Chico? Uh, like what's it? Is that a city? Is know, it a large town? It's a small, it's a small city. Uh, it's about, I want to say around a hundred thousand people. Okay. Um, it's a call, it's a college town. So obviously the population changes dramatically when, you know, school's in session. Um, and we don't have many connecting. We actually don't have any connecting cities. We're way out, you know, in the orchards. Uh, we have a lot of small, um, farming towns around us, but for the most part, we're, you know, pretty centrally located surrounding you know various very small towns what's so we the, do a lot of work 
What's the um, kind of design elements are there? Is is like in our area, it's very old New England, so you get capes and splits and ranches and old New Englanders. But it it seemed like that area has more like of a southwest or a west feel. What's what is the what are the homes like? Slab, no basements. What what type of construction is it? It's all over the map. Um, there's definitely when you go back, you know, into the 1800s. There's a lot of old ranch houses that have you know full basements with the old Douglas fir floors oh, yeah. um, and some of our older towns or our older houses downtown um, have kind of more of a craftsman feel same, you know, the, the, the fir in, in like bedrooms and then Oak in the more high traffic areas. Um, and then as time has gone on, it's just kind of all over the map, but we, we definitely deal with all dynamics, you know, gluing onto slabs, floating on slabs, um, raised foundations, a little bit of, a little bit of everything. In your particular market, what, what is like in our area, it's, it's red oak, red oak, red oak, and maybe some white oak. And then there are a lot of other things going on. Is that pretty much what's going on in your area? Or like you said, is, I mean, fur was here. It was really typical. You could walk into a home after doing flooring for a long time and I could get in the driveway and say, Oh, this particular New Englander or Victorian, the whole downstairs is going to be maple in the formal area with a box in the center full of cheap pine because they would have glued the rug. They would have saved their money to put um, Douglas fir on the rest of the entire upstairs and whatever was left over they would have used to put the, do the deck on the front porch. Three and an eighth fir. And it's interesting because Doug fir doesn't come from here. It comes from your side of the country and they used it everywhere. It's always vertical. It's always the same stuff. You could spot it. And you know, I couldn't stand that stuff until I had a floor in my house. We were moving out. And I said, yeah, I haven't really done fur. I did it and I put a light cherry stain. It's the nicest looking floor I've ever done. I loved that floor. Mm-hmm. I, I love fur too. Um, fur and redwood. I know that it's not ideal for a floor, but you know, it's what, it's what we had. It was super accessible and it was cheap. And um, so being able to preserve those floors in this area uh, really, really makes me happy and and happy that I'm in the trade, you know, that I can preserve these old 100-year-old floors. So, yeah, I, it's a love-hate relationship with fur for me. When you, you know, it used to be if you if you found a fur floor here, you're like, oh, it's the worst. It, it always came, it was always um, shellac or lacquer with, with wax. And you're like, oh, man. And it would just melt your paper. You get a whole box of edger discs. And you just cut them, spit them out. Cut them, spit them out. They start to stack mm-hmm. up like lava. Is that what they used on your floors? Or did they have some super fun screen <laughs> or nothing about Ours were terrible. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of people that went through the wax phase. And um, a lot of floors that they just painted. And actually, this the one that I just finished yesterday is an old fur floor that had layers and layers of paint. And I was... I was starting out my drum sander with 16 grit, you know, because even the 32 would come up and, uh, you know, there, there are benefits for the homeowner to that. Not that I encourage people to paint, to paint their fur floors, but it is kind of creating a time capsule and, um, you know, keeping the, the wood out from the elements, you know, the UV rays and things like that. So some, those are some of my favorite ones, you know, You've got this painted fur floor and you sanded it and it might have a little bit of bruising, um, you know, from people dragging things or 
you know, walking across the floor. And I encourage people to, you know, if, if you like that old look to stain it dark and that will, you know, hide a lot of those imperfections or just embrace the natural history of that floor and, um, have a beautiful weathered, you know, fur floor. Hi, Wood Floor Pros. This is Kim Walgren, the longtime editor of Wood Floor Business. You can read the profiles of our 2022 Ultimate Wood Floor Guy and Gal in the December-January 2023 issue of Wood Floor Business. Our contest is sponsored by Lagler, and both of our ultimate winners won a trip to Lagler's Fly and Sand Training at the Lagler headquarters in Germany. Do you think you or someone you know has what it takes to be our next Ultimate Wood Floor Guy or Gal? Entries are already open for next year's contest. Go to woodfloorbusiness.com for more information. Did you get stuck in all the, that whole era of plastic, 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 plastic? We put sheets and sprayed them with water and hoped that the dust would stick to it. But if you have a hole the size of a quarter, the place is trashed. Did you go through oh, the yeah, whole walls? Was, and, yep. Know? Yeah. When I first when I first started learning, that was the thing. And I remember um, training other people. And, the you know, that was the first thing. It's like, okay, we're going to plastic off all the areas that we don't want dust. And... I would even, you know, basically like consider it like water sealing it. Like if there's the tiniest hole where water could get through, dust is shooting through that plastic and dusting out the whole house. And that was a concept that people did not get, but I couldn't emphasize it more. Like the dust is tiny. It's so fine. It's going everywhere. No matter what you do, you could close cabinets. It's still getting in the cabinets. And, um, yeah, we took it really serious for a long time. Not so much anymore because, you know, obviously having vacuums definitely helps. Uh, but, yeah, that was a big part of it. I remember at the end when people were about, I don't know, I, you probably remember what they call them, but you had these, these like aluminum temporary walls with rubber feet. You put up, you put the plastic in, you stretch it over, put another one, another yep. one, another one. <laughs> I was like, I'm glad I missed that part of it. No, thank you. I know. Yes. I remember one job we did. It was a big vaulted ceiling and we were trying to plastic off half of the room and we had those big zip poles and um, they were really heavy duty. And I remember someone, uh, it might've even been the homeowner turned the air on and it completely, you know, pulled the air and knocked the whole thing over. I think we even broke a vase from the whole plastic wall falling over, but it was a big, yeah, that was a huge part of the trade was, uh, you know, I wish, I wish drywallers inherited that a little more. <laughs> oh, they, well, yeah. People will say those are the worst ones, right? The concrete dust, drywall dust, and hardwood floor dust. And con- and I think drywall dust is, is the, that is the worst. You'll know if you get it, if someone gets it in your hardwood flooring or a little paint in your hardwood flooring, it doesn't come out that easy. Sometimes it doesn't come out at all. Yeah, it gets in the grain, and unless you go down to raw wood, you're you're not gonna be able to get it out. No, and those are the painters that say, "Oh, he can get it. It's easy. They'll they'll get it out of there." Mm-mm. I can't. Yeah, do, no. I can't deal with that. So in in um in your area in your market, what's predominantly the go to thing? Is it like like in our market right now? It's always red and white oak, but people are really after three hundred years of two and a quarter strip doesn't exist anymore thank god and they're they're doing at least four inch and they'd like to do five six and wider but we have some serious glue issues with the type of weather that we have you guys get a lot of plank and things like that yeah that seems to be the big trend uh you know newer custom homes they want that wide plank you know and 
it fits for the house. It's, you know, they, you put, you have a 3000 square foot house, uh, you know, wide plank looks really nice, but it definitely does create more complications. Um, I, I still do a lot of just the standard two and a quarter Oak mainly because, uh, a lot of the jobs I do are additions, um, or just resanding old floors with repairs, you know, like they want to take out the kitchen wall and make this, you know, a classic open floor plan. And I'm weaving in, you know, oak into their existing floor. So that's still pretty common, but the wide plank um, uh, trend is definitely, I feel like it's everywhere. Are you going through the gray thing for like three, four, five years now? It's every shade of gray you can possibly think of. Gray, 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 gray. <laughs> and I keep saying in the 70s, 80s, it was English Tudor brown. And that seems to be coming back. And now it's just gray, gray, gray. When is this going to go? Do you have that on your coast too? Yeah, the gray is really popular. Um, you know, gray with some brown tones. I I joke about it and talk about how it's the new age whitewash. <laughs> like it's just this fad that at the time they think it's great. And at some point it's it's already dating itself. Do they say pickle out there? Out here it's pickling. Can you pickle my floor? Out where you are, it's probably whitewash, but here they call it pickling. Yeah, I always knew it as whitewash. I haven't heard pickling. Yeah, yeah, and people say, I want a pickled floor. That's, it's, it could be, back in the day, they used literally gasoline and naphtha and whatever, and today it's bleach, wood bleach, Clorox bleach, whatever, and it's never the version of what somebody's particularly white floor is. So I can't even believe people still ask for it, but I know we, at one point, we were getting shades of blue you know, white floor, shades of pink, white floor, shades of gray. And then they put it mm -hmm. on a white oak floor and wonder why it's root beer colored. <laughs> now we got to explain yeah. the chemistry of a tree to people. Yeah, we had a really, this is not really uh, stain color related, but we had a really interesting floor that we did up in the mountains. And it was a V-groove pine floor. And um, it had, we had to set, we had to set the nails and we, he wanted to fill the V-groove um, in with some sort of filler. And he was kind of a creative, kind of artsy guy. And so we had come up with filling the V-groove and the nail holes actually with epoxy. And we put in a red food coloring or some sort of dye and had a red epoxied floor, which was the most bizarre thing <laughs> I'd ever seen. <laughs> I mean, for... Uh, it fit for that guy and his house. Sure. But by far the weirdest request we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know what people are going to ask for. How, um, yeah. how about uh, any, you got any tricks of the trade? Any little things you've learned? Any things you want to share? Everybody seems to have these little hacks, tricks, gimmicks, things. Um, we, well, when it came to scraping, we had come up with some really weird things, you know, like scraping between balusters and scraping V-grooves. And I remember um, we didn't have, and a lot of this stuff was based on just, we just didn't have the right stuff. So we were kind of making up things. And we actually just used the old, those old school, like uh, bottle openers, you know, where one side has the triangle. Yes. And actually just, sharpened those and used those as scrapers 
to get the the finish out of the V grooves. I'm getting a feeling and your favorite tool in the bag is your is your scraper collection. I I do love. You got more than one scraper, or do you have your favorite scraper? I've uh, I have kind of a narrower scraper. Um, I can't remember the width of my the one that I use, but yeah, I think that I loved it because I mastered it fairly quickly, and. Um, and then uh, there's obvious, or there was actually one thing I just recently did. Um, I had posted on social media that was from time to time, uh, my edger, I don't, I use vacuums, but I'm not using like the uh, big industrial, like to the hardwood flooring standards. I'm just, you know, I'm just getting off on my own. I'm like a year in. Like I'm just making it work for me. So I use a Makita vacuum, like a shop vac for my edger. And uh, when I, especially on the, you know, we're talking about Douglas fur floors and the how soft they are. When I run my, my hundred grit paper on my edger, I use a maroon pad instead of a thick white pad. And that can create a lot of voids. Um, dust just starts flying everywhere. The dust is obviously finer because you have finer grit sandpaper. And so I actually make uh, duct tape skirts for my edger, which help with the suction. Well, and uh, Is that an under radiator? Because Makita does their U-Rad. They're under radiator sander with the long nose, or are you talking on a regular edger? On a, regu on a regular oh, yeah. edger. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I actually do have one of those under the radiator edgers. They need um, to come up okay. with one that has some and, dust control. Well, they do have a few of them, but that's a tricky one to contain the dust. Yeah, down. mine does not have the dust control. And I've actually attempted, because they're fairly used. The one I have is fairly easy to use. It's not, you know, insanely powerful. Nope. And um, I can actually, you know, hold a, a vacuum hose while I'm edging, Yes. you know, next to it to at least help. Because if not, I mean, you're getting completely blown out with dust without any sort of dust collector you know that's you look at it and you say i just saw one tonight for somebody they had this beautiful stone hearth and somebody really did a good job scribing it but the stones are sticking way up i said you're gonna need a makita with a the seven inch plate on there to even be able to get under that you can't even scrape under there and mm -hmm. it's going to be dusty and you know what i'll take the dust because there's nothing else i'm going to be able to get under that thing with and remove the poly because they want to put a walnut stain on there so yeah, yeah, it's a little sacrifice there, but yeah, you've got to have some way of getting under there. The on with the work that you've done in the last thirteen years, can you think of um, a job or two that are either the most challenging you ever did or the most memorable that you ever did? Either one. Um. Yes. There's. There's actually one that was a little bit of both. And, it, you know, when you look at it, it doesn't necessarily seem super involved, but um, it was a, it was a living room um, that I think at the time was kind of separated living room, dining room. It had, you know, a load bearing wall down the middle with a fireplace and they wanted to completely open up that room and make it one room. So um they put uh, beams in and we basically had a half a room of this. Um, it was three quarter inch oak. It was, it was a random width, uh, I think three different widths. And it had a pretty big V groove on it that we couldn't get from our distributor. Um, and we were basically weaving in half of that whole room. It had um, 
it had decorative walnut bow ties between the planks and yes. then we and then had drilled uh two to three screws depending on the width with you know little walnut plugs over them nice and um so we did we had to hand route all the v grooves before we uh you know attempted to install any of the floor and half of the floor was on a raised foundation half of it was on a slab so we were incorporating nailing in sections of the floor and gluing down in others um it was really really involved for such a small space labor intensive very labor intensive yeah and then some um really interesting floors we did we actually did a solid teak floor which i had never done which was really interesting i was not familiar with the wood and it oily uh, and waxy like soap very oh, oily yes you got i remember the stuff. Yeah, we had to clean out our machines, you know, multiple times. It's like sanding a bar of soap. It's really creepy. Yeah, it doesn't it would gum dust. Up. It gums. Up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's really no dust that flies through the air. It kind of just gums up, and it also seemed really buttery, like really, really soft. Good call. Yeah. And then, and it was a really large floor, so it was tricky because we had to, apparently you have to seal the floor within 24 hours of sanding or else the oil starts seeping out yes. and then the finish is going to reject that, that bond. And um, it was just a whole different element that, you know, we, we hadn't experienced before. It's like boat technology. They say a, a, a genuine teak, depending on the species, is only real teak after 50 years and it starts shedding um, seeds. But it has this oily, like you said, it's like a butter. If, like, if you're ever in the summertime, put your, your brushes in some cheap thinner and you go to get them and it's like this butter has come to the top of the surface. That's what that wood grain was like. It's like somebody mixed it up with butter and now it's in my edger. It's, it doesn't <laughs> dust. It just goes everywhere. It's, it's kind of gross. It's a beautiful looking floor. It is. Yes, it is. But not like any other floor I'd ever done before. Was it straight lay or herringbone? A lot of them are herringbone. It was straight leg. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then there was a few step downs to the living room that had, you know, a curved radius. So there was some uh, intricate parts to it that was uh, definitely rewarding. Do you have, do you have a, at this point, best client you ever worked for and also maybe a, a not so best client you've ever worked for? We've all had the, the customer from hell and um, we've all been down that road before. Those ones with the yeah, expectations through the roof. Yes, there's definitely the favorite contractors in town. And, you know, since I've been on my own, I've uh, only dealt with a few contractors that I'd worked with in the past right. that I know personally, but for the most part, it's been homeowners. Um, but yeah, definitely have my favorite contractors. And actually, my favorite one is actually the biggest hard ass he is so picky at, you know like if we leave the job and our tools aren't neatly placed in a corner like he's going to complain about it and he's big on um minimal trim you know which makes it more difficult for a hardwood installer you know trying to figure out how to do things trimlessly and um biggest challenges with him but he is by far my favorite contractor to work with on, your, on the coast, do they do, um, like in, your, in our area, there's this giant debate. According to the manual, the 
bases out, you put the flooring in, you put the base af- after. But in Boston area, in Massachusetts, which has been around since the Pilgrims, it, you, you scribe. Now, my entire career, I followed the NWFA manual, and I, I never scribed anything. Then in the end, when I really didn't care and I was helping and doing things, I had people say, you got to know how to scribe. And they taught me, oh, man, now I put everything tight to the baseboard. I, I look for the problems first, analyze where the wood's going, and figure at some point, if it's going to go anywhere, it would have to be complete water and some type of uh, an insurance situation. But I find <laughs> that I've gone the other direction, and I do like to scribe tight to the baseboard. Do they do that where you are, or they don't do that? Well, I scribe up to... Um up to doors, doors, not necessarily baseboard. Baseboard, you know, if the baseboard's there and we're not taking it out and we're putting it on the floor, we just shoe at the baseboard. So they do shoe. Um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, shoe or quarter round. Quarter round's kind of. I personally don't think that's the I, way to go. It looks I, hacky. It's ugly. I like yeah. like shoe or a little a little Roman OG Scotia thing. Kind of looks at least nicer. Yeah, shoe's pretty pretty standard. Um, and then scribe at the doors. And sometimes I'll even, you know, if it's a really low profile house that doesn't have a lot of trim, I'll just do a small grout line and fill it with um, like a black caulking to match the, the metal threshold or something, hmm. you know, to try to make it look super clean. So at this point, you're still working super solo. Can you tell me, is there, what's the most challenging part of working all by yourself? And what do you think is like the greatest thing about working all by yourself uh challenging i would say i'm used to working with a crew and doing a job that you know we do a whole house get it sanded and sealed in three days versus me working alone it could take me all week just to get it sealed and i feel that sense of urgency where it's like this is taking too long you know, the homeowners must be annoyed that they're out of the house for so long. And, um, you know, I, I give them a fair time and how long it's going to take, but that's been something that's been difficult for me. Um, you know, it makes sense. It's just me. It's going to take, it's going to take longer. But don't you think um, it raises the bar? Cause I get at a point where I had to work all by myself and I thought, wow, I better be the best there is at this because i like going slower i want to be meticulous and i think i can get away with being slow as long as this looks really good yes i definitely have done that on my own um especially knowing you know i'm stepping into a 1400 square foot house and i'm going to be sanding it all week like there's no need to rush but i still have that in the back of my head where it's like is this taking me too long they want their house back you're not family (laughs) I said, tell my guys, listen, when I know these people love us. They absolutely adore us, and they're buying lunch and donuts. But you get three strikes. Now, if we get two strikes and we come back in three years, we only get one. They're, you're mm-hmm. not in their Christmas lifts. You're not family. They just love their floors, and then they want us to go bye-bye. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I do get that feeling, too. Like I know they really like my work, but I think they want their house back. Yes. Yeah. And in terms of just the technical part of things, like I don't, I feel confident about all the work that I do. And that's one thing that I really enjoy about working on my own, Uh, especially, you know, when you incorporate another person, it brings in this whole different dynamic where it's like, okay, I'm going to be running the big machine. You should be right behind me running the edger. And then once we get that room done, you're puttying, I'm moving on. And it's just this whole flow that works really well. And, you know, when you get an employee who 
gets a phone call or goes outside to smoke a cigarette or spends, you know, 15 minutes in the bathroom, it throws everything off. And then you start getting frustrated and you're thinking like, we were supposed to get this floor sealed today. We might be here till five or six because, you know, things are not flowing correctly. And that's one thing I don't, I do not miss. (laughs) One thing I really like about working by myself, um, but yeah, it all has its pros and cons. Are you typically, all floor guys have a different opinion of this. I say floor guys, floor people, because you are floor gal of the year. Um, you typically satisfied 100% with every floor you do or a certain percent or you give yourself a 10 or a 9 or where. Uh, when you're done with the job or do you go back and go, boy, that one corner, I'm never going to forget that one corner. Yeah, for the most part, I feel good about everything I walk away from. The The one thing um, I struggle with the most is, like, for instance, I had been called from a contractor to fix um, a repair that a tile guy had broken the, the, the boards that transition from uh, basically the bedroom to the, to the bathroom. And... Um, they had the original installer had slightly overlapped this engineered floor and to the point where it was maybe like a 16th of an inch of this floor that overlapped the tile. And for some reason, the new tile had a very, very slight height difference. So it ended up, it didn't initially, it ended up breaking the, the, the boards that were already there. And I was supposed to come in, it was glued to a slab. I was supposed to come in and basically replace them. However, you know, typically in a situation like that, um, if it was flush to the tile, you could leave a grout line, you know, fill it with sanded caulk, and it would look, you know, just call it good. Um, the other option was trying to overlap it like whoever had installed it previously. But uh, I knew that you know, six months, a year down the road that that board was going to break from stepping on it. And so trying to find this weird way of fixing it. And really there's no correct way other than putting T-mold trim, you know, and, but the the homeowners didn't want that because they didn't have that throughout the rest of their house. So I had to kind of improvise. And so I had this very slight height difference. I had left a grout line and, um, you know, slightly, slightly sanded it with a file and put a little finish on it, um, did the grout line. And I still, it looked great, but I still walked away thinking, this is not how I wanted to do this. Right. You know, it I, wasn't, I hate I, tea moldings. I hate trans. I hate the reducers. I, can I do with. too. Yeah. I just feel like oh, they're going to be dragging the vacuum over this. I re-engineered my entire make- house for that to make the tile dead even with the flooring i wanted nothing i wanted it to be perfect and and you don't always get that yeah yeah that trim definitely uh makes a floor look cheap i feel like when you get those those cheap trim pieces so when you get that little edge that's a little higher than another or one media is different than the other do you remember from your ninja certification training what the terminology was for that you're just giving me flashbacks i'm having quiz flashbacks I believe it was lippage because the book would say no more than one thirty second lippage per X amount of this, that, the other thing. Lippage. I that's think good. that was yeah. it. Is there like you can't, you can't have that because we're going to have issues in here. So, but yeah, you're going to let me put this that. honking team molding in here. 
It's funny the uh, the names for things in the, in the hardwood floor business. I make jokes about it quite a bit. Yes, we have all sorts of stuff going <laughs> on. The um, so um, it, in looking at what you're doing now today, um, what's the very best part of what you're doing? What do you like the most about what you're doing as independent? Because at some point, somewhere you'll probably get help and do other things. What is the big thing for you? I mean, mainly it's the reward, um, and it's a fairly quick reward that you see, like, right in front of your face, you know, when you're done with the project and, and you walk away from it feeling good. Um, that's huge, and definitely just having a job where I get to physically move around, you know? There's so many jobs out there where people are just sitting, and I don't know how they do it, honestly. Um I really love working with my hands, physically moving, yeah, and seeing the reward right in front of me. Well, you know, you were talking about, you said that um, Tony going to Wyoming and isn't that, and uh, my sister is a park ranger in Wyoming. You talk about a male-dominated industry, and when she is not, and her husband is a minor, and when they're not doing that, they're on call to fight fires wherever they come up. Like, he's out, you know, and Wyoming is massive. I thought we were going to go to Yellowstone, and she said, well, that's five and a half hours. I go, what state? She goes, it's still in Wyoming. It's just five and a half hours that way. And Salt Lake, I'll pick up the airport, it's two and a half hours that way. She had to learn, um, not only you become a, basically a police officer, you chase poachers, you've got to learn weapons, carry guns. And in the winter, if you don't know how to take care of a park, fix plumbing, broken pipes, then they'll have somebody else do it. So I remember her going through college and going through a lot of what you're talking about. We all know that in the, the installation side of the wood flooring industry, it's guy-dominated. You sound like you had a really great introduction to that and going off to being a woman in flooring that's doing this. Were there pluses and minuses? Were there a lot of drawbacks? Did you get any grief or criticism about being in that much of a dominated situation? Not so much. Uh, for the most part, it was really positive. Yeah. Um, people just always seemed excited to see a female on the job site, yeah. whether it be a homeowner or other tradespeople. They seemed really supportive. Um, there were, you know, a few old timer contractors that were, you know, kind of hard headed, stubborn, mm -hmm. that never really gave me the time of day. Um, but for the most part, it's been super supportive, positive. Do you know any other women that are, are, are have spoken with you about trying to get into this or dabbling in it like you did or doing woodworking or might want to work with you or go apprentice or try anything? Are there people out there interested in doing this? Oh, yeah, for sure. I've had a lot of girls uh, approach me. I, actually, one woman who she kind of is an entrepreneur herself and does a lot of things on her own and um has opened up multiple businesses in town she's really really hard worker like i she didn't have uh much experience with construction it had never even used a table saw a chop saw but you know that's where i started i had never used power tools when i started and it was actually a good thing for tony because he he got to teach me fresh sure. and um i actually had uh, a gal apprentice with me on a few jobs and um i've encouraged anyone you know i i know that at some point in the near future i'm gonna want a helper and um 
if a female is interested, I'm, I want to give her that opportunity. Cause there's really, if you like working hard, there's really no reason why you can't be in construction. Now, a lot of people on different levels of it have different design element ideas, a different feel for the wood, a different look. Some people can go in house and knock a floor in, and some people can um, talk with the homeowner or the designer. And, and like, I'll talk with somebody and say, you know, the, you're picking up so much red. If we put a red oak in here, maybe white oak or maybe a hickory or maybe there's something um, in colors, cabinets, features, all these other things. Um, you're trying to make that floor pop. It is, it's, it's the the beautiful, most expensive piece of furniture in your home. And it's the one thing you're going to love and want to keep and not, you know, trade off or sell. It seems like mm -hmm. a lot of women have incredibly good taste with design elements and features. Do you find that you, you, that I really like that part of it. Do you find that that part of it to get with the customer and talk about where, what, what it's actually going to look like instead of just saying, yeah, we'll have a floor for you on Thursday. Is that good for you? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And, um, yeah, incorporating, you know, like the color tones someone's trying to go with or a certain style or feel they're trying to go with. I feel like uh, women have a really good eye for that stuff. And, um, yeah, I've definitely had homeowners uh, very thankful that I'm there to help them in that aspect of things. I think it's it's really big because we talk about all the time, like I'm a distributor and like 99.9% .9 of my customers are guys and the people we work with in the field are guys. But... On the dealer side of it, it flips right over. It's like 95%. And I've said yeah. before, uh, you find me, anybody purchasing a hardwood floor, it's your builder, it's whoever. There is a woman making that decision. And if you can get to that woman and find out what they're looking for, half the time the builder is calling and going, I don't know what this lady wants. Well, why don't you let <laughs> me talk to the lady? And I'd like to understand what she's trying to accomplish. And I, I get so thrilled about that because on the other side of it, I'll work with a woman designer and they'll be like, how do you like know all about this stuff? They just expect me to be the hack floor guy. Listen, lady, red oak with poly. I love the design element part of it and picking the colors. Where's the floor going to go? You get a much better clientele. You bring it to an art form. You're doing more with it than just picking out, you know, slapping in some species of wood. I think that's a good part of it. Do you ever get involved in the people that come in and go, well, we have blinds and we have trim and we have all these other things or countertops? Uh not so much. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm not a designer. I, you know, I have an eye for that stuff. Um, I'll, I'll usually ask them, you know, are you, is your furniture on the lighter side? Is it on the darker side? Like, do you want to contrast? Do you want things to match? And I can kind of give them um, their input or my input on what, what they're looking for. But um, for the most part, I just give, my personal opinion on you know i think this would look good this would be a nice contrast to your you know dark antique furniture or you know what colors you're looking for in the walls but i try not to emphasize that too much because um you know i i do hardwood floors you know at some point it's like where does it end like i'm <laughs> yeah you know, like I could be a designer too, but you know, it's, there's people who do that professionally that are much better than I am. You know, you look at it. I think the, the two things that messed me up was, I, I don't think you can ever get out of flooring when you get behind machine, you're in there for good. Uh, but I, I think one was, I did, uh, I don't know, three decades of flooring, but I 35 years I played soccer and I meet so many guys 
and so many women that they're not only flooring people, they're athletes. It's either running, cycling, um, you know, basketball leagues, rec, rec leagues. You're a runner, correct? I am, yes. It, uh-huh. Where I found that that's one of the greatest things for me ever was to, I go to a floor all day, I'd be beat, but I could go run a 5K or I could, I would play, ride my bike or do soccer on Saturdays. I think a lot of people that do flooring are, not only are they athletic, I think the two help each other. You they definitely, that? yeah, they definitely do. Um, you know, if you're just, any repetitive motion can start to be harmful for you. And if you're just working eight hours a day, hunched over, you're going to start to create some major problems. And I always found running to benefit me um, mainly in just my core strength. I felt, I felt stronger in my back. I felt like I could, you know, be hunched over installing a floor all day and then go run and, um, you know, maybe stretch after. And um, I felt like it was definitely gonna, gonna make, me doing floors last much longer. You know, the problems that people were having that I worked with, uh, there was, I really thought that running was helping me. Yeah, I think that um, I talked to guys, I mean, we're talking to people that are 65, and they say they like doing it, and but they have to keep doing it. And they might only take a Saturday off, go back on a Sunday, take a Monday. They never like to take a week off. They, they feel like it's harder to get back in the game. But if they stick with it their body mechanics hang in there pretty good mm-hmm. yeah i i i experienced the same thing and also just sort of you know getting out of your routine uh like for instance this month i went on i took two weeks off and i went on vacation and it was really nice but when i came back it was almost this feeling of like i think i was gone too long <laughs> you skip school you know, you get yeah, to stay like, home from school and you're like, this is the greatest. And then you feel like, what am I doing? You feel guilty all day, like you're supposed to be somewhere. Yeah, like I'm trying to catch up from everything. Um, but it's good to take that day off at least. I mean, you can't do it every day. On your day off, on on your vacation time where you go traveling, you're looking at hardwood flooring, right? If there's a hardwood floor within sight, you're looking at it. Oh, definitely. It's a curse. I can't, I it can't is. help it. We all do that. <laughs> What's what's next for you in business? This is you're right at that point. You're rolling. You're going on. What what's next for you in business? And like right now, what's your absolute favorite part of just being off doing your own thing? Yeah, I would say the next step would be getting an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been sort of a difficult thing because you know, I sort of went off on my own to kind of avoid all that. Mm. And, um, in the area that I live, I don't, I don't really know how it is everywhere else, but for us, it's really hard to find reliable people who are willing to work hard. Worldwide. Worldwide. Yeah. It's just, it's just the weirdest thing. And I, I don't really understand because it's something that I thought, I had in me and everyone has in them that it's just, you know, you work hard, you get the reward. It feels good. And that's sort of like the point of it all, you know, and I um, have had the toughest time. We, you know, working with Tony, we had the toughest time finding people uh, or they just wanted, you know, some quick cash, you know, they're in school, it's summer vacation, 
they want to make some money. So, you know, they'll get into construction for a little bit and, um, getting someone to stick around, uh, has been a challenge. Um, so I would, my next step is finding someone that I can, you know, rely on and trust that has an interest in doing a good job, not just making, you know, some cash, um, which is, yeah, I would say that's, that's really my, my next goal in, in my career. You know, if you think of it in the different trades over the years, um, whether it's in real life or it's in television or comedy or film, there's always that plumber that's driving the Bentley and has more than the doctor, you know, that plumber probably made $4 million by the time the doctor got out of med school. And, it, and there were these certain <laughs> trades, uh, uh, whether you're a septic guy or whatever. And it was for decades. And in my end of it, it was I was the highest price guy in town at $1.75. And there were people doing floors for a buck, buck 50. And now I hear my customers saying, well, I only got four fifty to sand and another dollar fifty for the stain. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not jealous. I am so proud of them. Like the bar will no longer come down. I don't care if we recess, if something goes on with the economy and prices crash. They're not, no one is going to go, well, I guess I'll charge $2. The number is there. The bar has been set. Yeah. And you said it. There's not enough of you. Listen to me, flooring people. Charge what you can. Do really, really good work and charge even more. If your customers aren't complaining, then you're not charging enough. It really shouldn't be given away. Unless you're still in that neophyte stage that you're learning and you know there'll be some errors or maybe you haven't got your chops down yet. If you're good at what you do and you show up on time and you're diligent and you're doing what you do, uh, charge for it, please. Get paid real well. Put it away. Make Invest in your own 401k. There's a lot of things you can do to create for a future for yourself. I think you're doing all the right stuff. Yeah, and that's, that's one thing I struggled with too is, um, you know, questioning – am I charging too much? You know, am I ripping this homeowner off? But I forget, you know, the amount of years it took for me to learn this trade and get to this level of efficiency, not to mention no one wants to do it. Nope. So there's absolutely no reason why we're not worth what we're worth. Look at what it costs for a sander, an edge, or dust containment. It used to be if you had a drum or a rental machine or an edge, or, you know, you'd get by. Then the buffer, and then it was... Um, toe kick saws and undercut saws and power jacks and then you get vacuum system dust containments i'm telling you the future of this industry is rotary sanding and rotary machines and yeah there's so much and now you're talking 10 20 30 40 thousand fifty thousand dollars plus whatever education you put in plus the hours that you're putting in and you need to get that back so if you spent sixty thousand dollars in equipment you have to do three hundred thousand dollars in flooring at twenty percent to even get that money back I wouldn't feel bad. Go get paid. You're, if you're, it's, yeah. it's, it's level. You're not going to gouge anybody. There are people out there that will undercut and be really cheap, but they won't do that very long. It, it'll catch up with them too, or they'll get out of it. it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, the initial investment was huge. I mean, I felt like in two years I spent over 20 grand on tools. Like every, all the money I made was just buying tools. And, you know, that didn't include, a van and all the other hidden costs that come with being a licensed contractor. Um, it's definitely not a cheap investment, but it does have its, its outcome that makes it worth it. Let me see a question. When you got set up and it was your thing, what did you do first? 
the van or the equipment? Uh, it was first, it was install equipment, uh, saws mainly. Um, and then I think I bought a buffer. Uh, then I got my big drum sander and then the van. What I was, were you putting it in before the van? I was actually, I was accumulating my tools, but I was still renting from Tony and using his work van. Okay. I would basically, I would basically pay him per job to use. And I had my tools in my shop that I was using for other things until it got to the point where it, I think once I got my van, then it was like, okay, I'm done. I don't need to rent things from you anymore. And uh, that's pretty much when everything started. You did it right. My my accountant, we want to get a van, all the stuff. And my accountant said, okay, why don't you go get a really nice van and letter it up and everything. And he wrote it all out. He goes, this is what it's going to cost. He goes, so you'll be losing money day one. He goes, <laughs> make do with what you have. And what's his sander cost? It was $6,000. And what's the edger cost? Oh, it's okay with $10,000. And you know what? How much, how much are you guys sanding? We could, we could do 500 feet a day with a tilt sander, right? And he goes, how much can you sand? I go, well, the distributor said we could be 2,000 or more. Our first day, we did 2,500 feet and had it coated. And we were like, wow. wow. And think about it. What we made immediately went towards setting up a van payment. The van late yeah. came so quickly. If we had done it the other way, we would have just been in debt. And we would do is load my car and load his pickup. And then you get an hour and a half into the mountains and go, where's the dust tube for the sander? Or you know, who's got the cord? All right, I'm going to leave for two hours, go back home and get the. Oh, I hated that. And then we finally oh, got the, the van. And we, yes, that's the great thing about the van. Is, <laughs> it's in I mean, the van. I, yep, I've got, I have a shop which is, you know, primarily used for storage or if I'm, you know, pre-finishing like stairs or something. But um, for the most part, I have everything I need in the van so that when I get to a job, it's not like, oh, shoot, I forgot that, you know, buffer skirt or I forgot the compressor hose or something just stupid that, you know, takes away a whole bunch of time in your day to have to go drive back and get it. Yep. So the van for me is the way to go. Would you like me to give you some quick fire questions from Wood Floor Business Magazine, and then I will let you impart? <laughs> yes, that sounds great. Not like any of us have been coached for this portion of the exercise, but I'm <laughs> going to ask you four questions. You just give me the quickest answer you can, and let's see how you respond to these. Are you ready? I'm pretty sure I'm ready. Let's <laughs> go. ready. All right. Liz M. Luck, <laughs> what is your biggest pet peeve in Florida? Oh, definitely a messy job site. If you weren't in the wood floor industry, what would you be doing? I would probably be a a fireman or a blacksmith would be my guess. Who is someone in the industry that you haven't met or might like to meet or hang out with? Oh, definitely a gal I follow on social media, um, Nikki, who owns, I think, Pure Wood Floors. She's in the Bay Area. Got you. And you have to be honest, because people lie about this. You probably wouldn't find this true. But in your home, do you have any carpeting, vinyl, anything but hardwood flooring? Do you have a piece of anything there that's synthetic and not real? And a I shame upon probably, our industry. <laughs> I can probably say no. 
I, I have some area rugs, but no, I do not. Ding, 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 ding. Liz Dimlock, the first human being to do the rapid fire questions with me without me dragging it out for half an hour. Yay! Yay! I have enjoyed talking with you greatly. You too, Steve. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining All Things Wood Floor. And hey, congratulations on your ultimate floor gal of the year. That's going to be great. Your your, um, Wood Floor Business uh, Magazine article is coming out shortly. And I think they're going to run these two together. And we can't wait to hear you and read you over there too. I can't wait to see it. Thank you. Great meeting you. Thanks, Liz. You too. Take care. All right. Take care now. Bye-bye. Thank you to Legler for sponsoring our 2022 Ultimate Wood Floor Guy and Gal Contest. Don't forget to read the December-January 2023 issue of Wood Floor Business for their profiles, plus articles on how to bend wood, run a business while prioritizing your family, and much more. If you don't get WFB, make sure you sign up for your free subscription at woodfloorbusiness.com, where you can also find all of our digital issues as well. If you liked this episode, please be sure you rate, review, and share this podcast. Thanks for listening.